Well, good morning, church. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and, and grab that and turn to Proverbs 13. We're going we're gonna to look at one verse today. And, um, and so you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs 13. We, we are in week two of a series that I've been calling uh, Raise Them Up. And uh, we're in this series. It's really a family series. So I really want to just talk to our kids uh, and our students and, and parents today. But one of the things I shared with you last Sunday is even if your, parent, your kids are grown and gone or you're not a parent anymore, uh, this series really will apply to you because we all deal with the issue that we're going to be looking at today. So the issue that we're going to be talking about today is, is really this issue of friendship. And I, wanted, I want to see a show of hands. This is kind of the congregational uh, participation part of the sermon. So let me see a show of hands. How many of you who are on Facebook, okay, you've got that annoying friend who posts all the time, all right, and they go on rants all the time, and they stir things up in other people's uh, posts as they respond. So let me see a show of hands if you have that friend on Facebook. Now don't point at them, but just, just raise your hand, okay? Um, yeah, I think, I think we all have like one or two of those friends. Now, what are you tempted to do with that Facebook friend? Yeah, sometimes it kind of goes through your mind, should I, should I unfriend them? You know what I mean? Like, because you're just so annoyed by it and everything. And you're just like, you know, hey, I don't really want to see all this. And, and so, yeah, I think we all have that experience. And, and that's, that's pretty common in social media world today. Obviously, we, we all know that. Now, Facebook is a huge blessing and at the same time, it's a huge curse. So it's really both and. It's a huge blessing because we can connect with each other in, in a way that we've never really been able to before Facebook, you know, came upon us. So that's, that's a huge blessing. Uh, but then the curse part of it is really that it's, it's causing us to kind of redefine what friendship is. So we see friendship in a different way now because we have Facebook friends, and just because you have Facebook friends, just because you have 300 Facebook friends, doesn't mean you have 300 real friends. Does that make sense? But what's happening is it kind of changes how we view our friendships and really how we conduct our friendships. And so one of the things that's happening is we're going more digital, we're investing more time digital, digitally, and we're, we're spending less time relationally. And that is... That is that's going to be a struggle because where that leads is to loneliness. And what's fascinating about loneliness, so, social scientists say that we, uh, we're facing an epidemic of loneliness in the United States today. Uh, kids are saying that they're lonely. Students are saying that they're lonely. Uh, adults, older adults are saying that they're struggling with loneliness. We're seeing it at a rate that we've never really seen before in in the time that we've been really tracking these things. And it's not just something that's unique to the United States either. It's happening all over the world, uh, especially in Great Britain. They've done surveys in Great Britain. One survey I saw, 68% of the people in Great Britain said that they're struggling with loneliness. 68, that's almost seven out of 10 people. Loneliness is such an issue in Great Britain that the prime minister of Great Britain in 2018, he, um, he designated a new cabinet position in his cabinet, and that was the minister of loneliness. So he has a cabinet position, somebody heading something up to deal with loneliness in Great Britain. That shows you uh, the reality of kind of what's going on in our culture today. Now, what's interesting is the Bible says a lot about loneliness. 
And it starts very early in the first two chapters of Genesis where you see that God says that there's one thing that's not good about all that he's created. Out of all the things that he created and he pronounced them all good, he said there's one thing that's not good. And he said man shouldn't be alone. He says loneliness is not good. And so the perspective that we get from scripture is that God hates loneliness. And he's done something about it. He's created friendship as an antidote to loneliness. And so, and so when you think about friendship, you think about it in just very general terms. We all have two different types of friends. We've got casual friends and we have close friends, okay? Now, casual friends are really the result of circumstances. They're the result of, uh, of an accident, maybe. You know, you, you, your kids go to the same school or you just you know, circumstantially live on the same street, your neighbors, uh, your coworkers. A lot of our casual friends are just the result of some accident, some just circumstance that brought us together. But your closest friends are different. Your closest friends do not come to you by accident or just circumstances. They should come to us by choice, by the choice uh, that, that we really make. And so that all kind of sets up the short passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, Proverbs 13, 20, as Shauna mentioned, it is, it is one of my favorite passages. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. And so it really speaks to this issue of friendship. And I kind of want to dig it out and unpack it for us today a little bit. So if you are willing and able, would you please stand together as I read to you this one verse, uh, the text that we're going to base the teaching on today, Proverbs 13, 20. The writer of Proverbs says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It'll stand forever. You may be seated. Now, it's an interesting proverb. It's one of those parallel proverbs. So it's parallel. It's, it's, it's really two halves that stand on, on their own. But together, when you bring the halves together, they have a huge, huge, powerful point. And that's the, that's the one I want us to look at today. So the first part of it says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Now, this is interesting because the entire book of Proverbs is about wisdom and the benefit, the blessing of wisdom and how to gain wisdom. And so what the writer of Proverbs is telling us is how to gain it. And one way that we gain wisdom is by hanging around wise people. And so he who walks with the wise or she who walks with the wise grows wise. So he's saying that the, that the end product of choosing to hang out with wise people is you, you have wisdom. Wisdom actually comes to you and wisdom has an impact on you. It blesses you. It guides you. It leads you. It liberates you. It frees you. There is a, there is a positive net consequence when we, when we choose to have wise friends. I think that's what he's talking about. But then he gives us the other half of it. And he says this, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Now that is an interesting one. As you think about that half, a companion of fools suffers harm. Now this proverb is not completely parallel because if it was, it would say, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools becomes foolish. And you kind of think he's going to say that. But in the very last minute, very last second, he throws us a curveball. And he doesn't say that 
if you become a companion of fools, you'll become foolish. What does he say? A companion of fool, companion of fools will suffer harm. What he's talking about there is this, that if you and I choose as our friends, foolish people, guess who's going to get burned? We are. Not the fools. We are. If you choose as your friends, foolish people, harm will come to you. Not foolishness, but I think foolishness will. But the dominant characteristic is you're going to arm yourself. You're going to, it's, going to, it's going to be a road that ends in pain. I think that's what he's saying. Now, I think we need to understand from Proverbs really what a, what a fool is. Because Proverbs talks a lot about foolishness and fools. And a fool is just simply someone who knows the difference between right and wrong. And they're going to choose wrong anyway and they don't care. Like you tell them, you know, if you keep looking at that stuff on the internet, it's going to hurt your marriage, right? I don't care. You know, if you keep making that choice, it's really going to end in a bad place, a painful place for you. I don't care. And what the Bible says is a fool is a person who knows the difference between right and wrong and they choose the wrong anyway. Now that is absolutely scary. Now I think the principle is this, the principle for you and me for what he's really talking about in Proverbs 13, 20 is this, that if you will show me your friends, if you'll show me who you're hanging out with, that is the number one predictor of the direction of your life. That is the greatest predictor of the direction of your life. Just show me your friends. That, that another way of saying it would be this, that nothing determines the direction and the quality of your life more than the guys or gals you're hanging with. And I don't care how cute you are, or how cool you are, or how many Bible verses you have, the number one factor in the direction and the quality of your life is the community that you're hanging with and running with. That's what he's saying. It's just an eternal principle. That's, that is what he's highlighting there. Um, notice another proverb, Proverbs 12. This is one chapter before chapter 13, verse 26. He says it like this. The righteous chooses his friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, why does, why does the, a righteous person choose their friends carefully? Well, he tells us, because the wicked will lead them astray. It's just part of the way God made us. You're going to have some casual friends by chance, but your closest friends need to be by choice. That's what, that's what he's talking about. Paul the Apostle says it in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, I like that verse because what he's saying there is this. He's saying, listen, there's an impact that keeping bad company has, and it's a corrupting one. So if you keep bad company, it's going to corrupt godly character. And then he warns us, he says, don't be deceived, because so many times we're thinking, oh, my friends are not going to do that. They're not going to pull me down. They're not going to have an impact on me. I'm strong. Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be hoodwinked. Don't be tricked. Bad company ruins godly character. It ruins good morals. Now, church, as I think about my own life, as I think about elementary school for me and middle school and high school and college even, 
when I think about the times that I've gotten in trouble in life, the times that I drifted and was distant in my relationship with God, were the very times I was running with the wrong crowd. That's the truth. Even at a Christian college, running with the wrong crowd. And the times in my life where I was growing spiritually, growing in my relationship with God, there's one characteristic of all of those times. I was running with other guys and gals who wanted to grow more than anything in their relationship with God. It's just the way it is. It's the way God made us. We're going to transform into the people that we're running with. That's, that's the impact. Now, let me, let me just take a, a couple of moments and I wanna to speak to our high school, stu- our high school graduates um, today. You know, we, in our student ministry, we've had a lot of high school graduates, a big high school graduation class this year. And, and uh, many of them are going on to college. Many of them are entering the workforce and uh, we're so excited about your future. And, uh, and so you've been thinking a lot about that future and where you're gonna work and where you're gonna live and what school you're gonna go to and what you're gonna major in. You've been thinking about all of those, all of those questions. Let me ask you the most important question. Where are you gonna find Christian community? Out of all the questions that you're trying to get answered right now as a high school graduate, that is the number one question. It is most important of all of them. And you're like, well, why? Because she who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. That's why. Nothing is going to determine the direction and the quality of life more than the people you choose to do life with. Can I get an amen to that? And I'm telling you as a pastor, if there is one story, one common story, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, people will come to church and they will tell me their story about how they came to Christ. And this is so many times, this is how it goes. Not every time, but so many times this is how it goes. Well, I was following Jesus in high school and then I went off to college and I got on the party scene or some other scene and I left Jesus at home. And I didn't return back to the faith until I was married and we had kids and we figured out we better get back into church. And that wasn't until their late 20s, early 30s. If I've heard one story, that's it. They just kind of checked out of their relationship with God in their college years because that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to kind of sow your wild oats, right? Party it up and have fun. I want to tell you, church, I want to tell you, high school graduate, that's an absolute disaster waiting to happen. Because think about the decisions you're making, whether you're going to college or not. You're thinking about who your friends are, what you're going to do, where you're going to live, what you're going to major in, where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, when you're going to marry. And you want to really leave Jesus out of all of that? These are decisions that are going to have a decades of impact on your life. Why in the world would you ever want to vacate Jesus at that point? He wants to give you wisdom. And one of the ways that he gives you wisdom and guidance is through a godly set of community that you're running with. Does that make sense? Now, let me speak to parents of young kids and 
Uh, maybe your kids are really young. They're in elementary school and middle school. And, and the thing that I would challenge you with parents is, is this. You need to be teaching your kids what the Bible says about friendships so that they start cultivating discernment that they understand the difference between wisdom and foolishness. They need someone to teach that to them. Guess whose job that is? It's yours. And, and what you need to do, mom and dad, is you need to do some prayerful, godly, social engineering, especially when your kids are young, because you have this special gift called control, right? You, you can control some things. Some of you are like, I have no control over my kid. Um, I get that. But you have, you have some control and you can steer them to have playdates with other kids where you know the parents are pouring into them and discipling them. Why? Because he who walks with the wise grows wise and a companion of fools suffers harm. And you wanna teach your kids that as early as you possibly can. They're not always gonna get it right. They're gonna make mistakes. That's okay. God grows us through our mistakes too, does he not? And that's a big part of the gospel. And so I want to challenge mom, moms and dads to that. Let me just add one more thing to this. Mom and dad, you need to be absolutely committed to Christian community. You need to be absolutely committed to church. Listen to me. If church, if church is just occasional for you, then it's just going to be occasional for your kids. And then the world's going to come right behind you and say, it doesn't, it doesn't even need to be occasional. You don't even need to go. And so if you don't value Christian community by being a part of things and being in community, you know, here or wherever, what makes you think your kids are going to be in it when they're grown and gone? You see, values are more, they're more caught than taught. And you're going to replicate what you are, generally speaking. Now, all that was free, by the way. So, um, but here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just talk to you briefly about how to, how to make wise choices in friendships. I mean, if it's really true that he who walks with a wise grows wise and a companion of fools suffers harm, if that's really true, then how do we apply that? How do we do that? What does it look like on the ground in the trenches every single day? That's the question that I want to try to answer. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to tell you who, who you should not choose to be a close friend. And then I want to tell you who you should choose to be a close friend. And then I want to tell you about one choice that we all need to make every minute of every single day, all right? So let's look at, let's look at the first one, who not to choose as a close friend. I think the Bible says that there's two types of people that should not be your close friend. They can be your casual friend, that's cool, um, but they should not be your close friend. And the, and the first person is this, the first type of person is this, a close friend should not distract me from God's plan for my life. A close friend should not distract me from God's plan for my life. Now, Peter gives us the picture of this because Peter is a disciple of Jesus. He's on the inner circle of Jesus. And, and so you read through the gospels and you notice these little hints of Peter's kind of trying to get Jesus off what God really wants for him. I mean, he's trying to influence Jesus off of the will of the Father. And so Jesus is explaining to the disciples, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be arrested, I'm gonna be crucified, I'm gonna die. On the third day, I'm gonna rise again and it's gonna be amazing. 
And the disciples, particularly Peter, are not, getting, are not getting it. And Peter's got great intentions. He's got very good intentions. But what he says to Jesus is, no way, Jesus, no way, Jesus, we can't do this. You're going to be king, and we're going to make sure that you become king. And I love what Jesus says in response to Peter. This is in Matthew 16, 23. But he says this, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, if you're, you know, trying to make a point to your spouse or a friend, just, just call them Satan and you'll get their attention. All right. Um, they'll know you're all real serious at that point. Just say, get behind me, Satan. Um, what Peter, what Jesus says to Peter is this, you're a stumbling block to me. You are tripping me up on the path that the will that that God the Father has for me. Now, can you imagine being a stumbling block to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? That would be an interesting trick, but that's exactly what Peter was. And so Jesus says to him, you don't have your mind set on the things of God. You really have your mind set on the things of man. You really got, you're focused on power. You're focused on position. You're focused on your own, your own glory. And you don't need to be. And so the thing that I would say to you all is there's someone in your life who's distracting you from God's plan for your life. You need to redefine that relationship. They don't need to be your closest friend. It could be something as simple as like, you know that God is dealing with you in your finances. You want to be a good steward and you haven't been and you own that. And you want to get out of debt and live on a budget. And you want to be able to give generously. But you got a set of friends. They're all into this bling and all this materialism and stuff. And so you're just around them and you just feel this pressure. You feel this pull away from who God's calling you to be. Where you're not attached and you're not worshiping stuff. You're not being controlled by stuff. You are actually controlling it. You may need to redefine that friendship and that relationship. But there's another close friend that you shouldn't have. And that, and that second type of close friend should not continually tempt me to sin. They shouldn't continually tempt me to sin. Now, a great, a great example of this in scripture, I think, is Joseph. You remember reading about him in, in Genesis. Uh, we did a series on him not, not too long ago. Uh, we, and, and if you remember the story, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and then shipped down to Egypt. And immediately Joseph started working for a man named Potiphar, a very powerful Egyptian. And so Joseph was Potiphar's assistant. And Joseph was a godly man. God was with him. He was a man of integrity. And he worked really hard and he blessed his boss, Potiphar. And Potiphar noticed him. The problem was not only did Potiphar notice him, but Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph as well. And if you read the story, you know that she grabs his robe and makes a pass at him. And he immediately runs right out of the house. I think he ran a 4-240 that day, just right out of the house. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad he didn't just Stop and say to Potiphar's wife, Let me, why don't we just take a minute and pray together? You know, because I know you're struggling in your relationship with God. We should, why don't we just pray together? He didn't want to do that. You know why? Because he didn't want to be tempted. Like I'm getting out of Dodge quick and I don't care where I end up. And if you know the rest of the story, he ended up in prison 
And, uh, but then he ended up as prime minister of Egypt, if you know the rest of the story. So, so that's the point. And I think he had to reassess that relationship. And so, so will you and so will I. Ladies, if you're running with other ladies who are always bashing their husbands, you probably don't need to be running with them. Can I just be honest? If they're just bashing their husbands, men, you can't trust them, you can't marry them, you can't shoot them. You know, you're hearing that stuff all the time. (laughs) You probably need to reassess it because it's not gonna be a net positive for your man. And guys, if you're hanging out with other guys at the gym or at the sports bar or whatever, and all, of they're, all that they're doing is objectifying other women and just looking at other women and commenting on them, you need to look at them and say, look, I got one hot chick at home and that's my wife and that's where I'm going. I'll see you guys later. And that's what godliness does. You don't need that type of temptation in your life. There's already enough temptation in life. And ladies, if you're dating a guy who is putting pressure on you to compromise physically where you know you shouldn't go, that is outside of the bounds of marriage, you need to reassess it. You need to redefine it. Let's just be honest about it. So you don't need to have a close friend who's distracting you and who's tempting you. But who should be your close friend? I think There are two characteristics here from scripture. And the first one is this. It gives us great clarity on this. You think about your close friends. They need to be at least one of these two. First of all, they should be a person that encourages me spiritually. My closest friends should be people that encourage me spiritually. That encourage me in my walk with God. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. The apostle Paul says this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. So what he's saying is you need people around you who are encouraging you, who are, who, are, who are building you up. That's what he's talking about. Now, there's a real difference between, you know, a compliment and encouragement. Have you guys figured that out? There's a huge difference between just a compliment and an encouragement. A compliment is usually just kind of shallow and superficial. A compliment would be like, hey, Pastor Scott, you don't look as bald as you normally do. What's going on there, you know? Uh, th- that would be a compliment. And I would say, hey, yeah, well, thank you. You know, I'm glad, I, I'm, glad I'm meeting whatever standard there is. But um, that's a compliment. But you know what an encouragement is? An encouragement is, it literally means to fill up. So when you encourage someone, you fill them up with faith, hope, and love. That's what encouragement is. Do you know why we need to be filled up with faith, hope, and love? Because we leak. We leak. And so when you are pursuing Jesus and walking with him closely, then you're looking at other people differently and you're wanting to put into them faith. God's with you. Love. God loves you. And hope, God is with you and he will be in the future. That's, that's the kind of thing. And just, just like the coronavirus is contagious, church, faith, hope, and love is contagious. Man, it spreads. But we need transmitters. We need people passing it on. And so that's the kind of friend that you need to have. You know, some of you know, I, I love to work out. I'm kind of a gym rat and... Uh, and so I'm working out in the mornings at a local gym and I'm with just an amazing group of guys and gals that are just elite, you know, and I'm on the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but they just encourage me. 
they just speak encouragement to me. They just get right there. You know, if I'm not doing something right, they help me. They're very positive. They're like, Scott, you can do it. And I'm telling you, they push me farther than I could ever go by myself. And that's how God made us. We're made for that. And I'm telling you, I need to be pushed. I need people pushing me because my default level is status quo. Just take the road of least resistance. That's, that's what I want, but I need people in my life that say, no, we're not, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna push it today. And I think we need the same thing spiritually. You know, I had, I was very blessed in high school to have a group of about 10 friends that I ran with uh, from sophomore to senior year. And it was a group of guys and gals and we just loved each other. And we supported one another. We prayed for one another. Uh, we, we ate together at lunch. We, we, just, we just tried to encourage one another. If one of us was down, man, everybody would rally to that person. And we just had each other's back. And it made all the difference in the world. And you may not have 10 of them, but you need to have at least one. And so you should choose as a close friend, someone who encourages you spiritually. And then secondly, I should choose friends who support me consistently. I, I don't need fair weather friends. I, I don't need friends that are with me when everything's good and then they're gone when everything's bad. In fact, the writer of Proverbs speaks to this. He tells us in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. You get the feeling when you read this, he understands, he understands that and he's lived it. Someone once said, you know, that a true friend is a friend that walks in when everybody else has walked out on you. And that's an absolute true friend. Interestingly enough, Jesus has experienced that. Do you know the night that he was arrested, his friends bailed on him, bailed on him. Even Jesus understands what it's like to have friends walk out on you. He understands that. So that's who you shouldn't choose as a close friend. And that's also who you should choose as a close friend. But here's the last thing I wanna share with you. This is one thing that we always need to do. This is one choice that we always must choose. We always must, must make. And that is to love people with the unconditional love of God. That, that's what I mean. And then to point them to Jesus. Not everybody's gonna be our close friends. You don't have that kind of relational capacity but we should love everybody and point them to Jesus. That's what he's called us to be. I hope that, you know, as you've kind of listened to this message today, that I'm not leading you to start thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm holier than thou and I'm better than that person and I've got a shiny halo and they're really bad sinners or I'm gonna stay far away. That, that's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm saying is this, and this is how it would work. You've got a close set of friends who are pulling in the same direction as you. They love Jesus. And you go deep in those close friendships. And what that does is it stabilizes you. So then you can expand out and love people who are far from God. And then you're supported because your core friendships are strong. You're supported. So when you reach down to pull somebody up, they're not going to pull you down. You know why? Because you're supported. You're actually strong enough now to pull them out. And that's called the Great Commission. 
And that's how you resolve this tension that we see in scripture between go into all the world and make disciples and spread the gospel. And you need to have a close set of Christian friends. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me on that? You need that. Your walk with God needs that. Your kids need to see that. Jesus talked about this. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples uh, if you have love for one another. You see, the reason why we love each other is because God has loved us. That God gave his son for us. That his son took our place on the cross for us. That he he wants to pour God life into us. That he doesn't want us walking in loneliness and emptiness and frustration and pain. He wants us He wants us to know his love and his joy and and the, the power of his presence. That's what he wants us to walk in. And his death and his resurrection makes that possible. And Jesus says this, he says, there's no greater love than this, that a friend laid, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, you are my friends. And he is telling them, I'm going to the cross for you. Do you know that what Jesus did for you? He went to the cross for you. He had you in mind on that cross 2,000 years ago so that you could have new life. Here's the question. You can't have godly friends until Jesus is your friend. Is he? Would you like him to be? Because the invitation is for you. For you to be a friend of Jesus. His blood purchased the way to be friends with Jesus. Have you settled that in your heart? Do you know him? You need to make that choice today. You're like, well, how do I do it? It's really as simple as A, B, and C. Letter A stands for admit that you need a savior, that you've sinned and you've fallen short of God's glorious standard. B means you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you in your place. And C, you commit your life to following him because he gave his life for you. And so that's, that's how you do it. You'll never live right with the wrong friends. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the simplicity of your word, the wisdom of your word, the power of your word. Thank you that it speaks and guides us at every moment in our lives, at every stage and step. Lord, I thank you for our high school seniors, God. They're getting ready to, to start their new life in, in the workforce or in college. I just ask you would bless them. You would crown them with godly friendships that they would truly grow wise and you would keep them from harm. I pray for our parents, Lord, that there is no more difficult a job than being a parent. And so God, thank you that you are sufficient in our insufficiency. Would you help us 
to live out what you've called us to live so that our kids will see it and that one day they'll choose it. And God, I pray that, that our church would just be filled with love. Lord, we're, we're really not better than anybody else. We don't have halos to shine, God. We're just beggars telling another beggar where to find bread. That's, that's all it is. And so Lord, thank you that you're the bread of life. Thank you that you're the water of life. Thank you that you quench our deepest thirst, that our hearts were made to know you, to walk with you, to love you. And God, I ask that you would give us faith, that you would give faith today, that there might be someone watching online or in this room today that would take that step and say, I'm a Christian. And so if you wanna commit your life to Christ, just, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed and just silently to yourself, just repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I admit I need a savior. And I believe you died on the cross to save me. And I commit my life to you because you're my friend. And the cross proves that friendship. So put your spirit in me, save me, and give me new life that I would walk in you. God, I ask you bring salvation to this room today. We thank you and praise you. And all of God's people said, amen.